All right, party people, welcome to yet another episode of Law and Candor, the podcast wholly devoted to pursuing the legal technology revolution. I am Bill, and I am here with my co-host, Rob, as always, and we are excited to have you today. Today, we're getting strategic about review and data. We hear a lot about organizations struggling with their data volumes and caseloads, and not enough about solutions, frankly. So we're talking with Jason Rylander of Axon who manages huge matters, uh, a lot of the, a lot of HSR work. And we're going to talk to him about techniques for unifying matter, uh, unifying matters uh, via repurposing work products um, and, and, and finding out how you do that, uh, you know, when that opportunity presents itself and what it means to the organization that you're representing as counsel when you can uh, significantly use uh, ma- uh, uh, work product and, and different technology, different uh, pieces of work product from a prior case and use it in a cross matter for your future case. It's, a, it's an interesting conversation. I'll, I think you'll enjoy it. Before we get to that, however, we want to bring you some sightings of radical brilliance. This is the part of the program, as you may know, where we bring to you the latest and greatest of news of noteworthy innovation and acts of sheer genius. Today, we're talking about a law firm that only works on artificial intelligence. And the, the, the topic, it's a short article, but it caught our attention because they only work on artificial intelligence. And that really, that's what got us into it. Yeah, this is an article that appeared in Fortune. Why this law firm only works on artificial intelligence is the name. And of course, I guess, Bill, like it was just a matter of time, right? Until you know, you had a law firm that would specialize in this. And at first I was like, I was a tiny bit skeptical about it. But then when you think about it, you know, companies are making big, big bets on AI. And as, as we've talked in other um, sightings, you know, there's, there are risks associated with this. There's bias, there's other things. And at some point, yeah, you're going to have to have your legal team analyze that risk, help you make decisions. But the problem is, most lawyers don't really understand AI and most data scientists don't really understand lawyers. And how do you bridge that gap? Yeah. And if you have uh, if you have a firm that is concentrating in this area, that's their sole practice is in this area. Um, you know, I'm sure there's there's plenty of clients out there they could they could work with. It'll be interesting to see if big firms start to develop this practice within uh, their firm, uh, not as obviously not as the sole uh, focus of, of, of the firm, but as, as an individual practice, it'd be interesting to see if a big firm just buys this practice because they're getting a lot of clients that want to just discuss AI. But I, I think the, the, the firm makes a good point in that, you know, oftentimes lawyers and AI technologists or data scientists don't necessarily communicate well with each other. Um, lawyers are, you know, they, they see the data scientists as someone who's serving them to get them to their most important data quicker, faster, better, more efficiently and cheaper. And the legal technology, I mean, and the, uh, the AI uh, or data scientist is often saying it's not that easy. Let's take, here's the process. Here's how we're going to do it. If you could find a way to bridge that gap so they could talk to each other, it's pretty valuable service to provide. Yeah, for sure. And and there definitely is, you know, this is something that we kind of deal with to some extent every day. Like there truly is a big gap between data science and law. Well, it's kind of your job, right? <laughs> I mean, it's, this law firm is basically have a practice that is your job individually here. Great article, you know, interesting thing to think about. Um, I think there definitely will be a lot of demand for this firm and good to have something new to talk about. Yeah, agreed. I think, I think it's, um, I, I think it'll be, uh, It'll be interesting to keep up with them. I actually wrote down the name of the firm. I'm going to keep up with them and see if uh, see if they're in the news and, and who their clients are. It's interesting. All right. Now on to our conversation with Jason Rylander, e-discovery attorney at Axon, 
master of large reviews where we will be talking about and strategizing how to achieve cross-matter review discipline. All right, so let's get into it, Jason. Uh, thank you for joining us. We a couple of years ago we we started uh, we changed it up in the podcast. Instead of asking somebody to give their title in the firm or company they worked for, which got incredibly boring, we want to kick it off with a, a question that has some of the best answers of you know from our from our guests, and that is how in the world did you get into electronic discovery? What what path led you here? Because no one goes to high school and college hoping that they could be uh, you know uh, involved in electronic discovery to the extent that it even existed when we were in high school and college. Right. Well, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I was going to say that, you know, I grew up a young boy in a small town in Texas and every Halloween I dress up as an e-discovery attorney, <laughs> <Yeah>. but <laughs> I don't think No that. candy for you. <laughs> yeah. The most unpopular costume in the town, oddly enough. <laughs> right. I'd have a sign on me to explain it. Um, now, you know, like a lot of people in e-discovery, I, you know, kind of backed into it, I guess you would say. Um, you know, I graduated law school in 2008 uh, from NYU. Uh, you know, got a good job in Manhattan, and you know, the layoff started. Uh, I was supposed to be in structured finance. That didn't really exist at the time anymore. So you know, along with a lot of other people, I was laid off after six months at the firm, so I was kind of out there looking for something to get back into the game with. And honestly, it was a Craigslist ad that I replied to. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I need love to asking do something, this question so. <laughs> because that, that, is, that you might win for the best answer to this question. I got into e-discovery off Craigslist. That might be the title of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that if that's possible anymore, but uh, you never know. But back in the day, that that's how it happened. Yeah, I didn't know what a doc review was, but that's what I was joining. And in a couple of months, they placed me at Cleary, not on a permanent basis, but kind of embedded. Yeah, long, at the long term. Yeah. Yeah. And then in a couple of months, they offered me a job uh, as a staff attorney. So I kind of got thrown in the deep end right after I figured out what e-discovery was and what, you know, doc review was. Uh, you know, I, I was tasked to start leading uh, doc reviews there. So over the five years I was there, you know, I, I gained quite a bit of experience um, on a variety of matters. Yeah, the, the Craigslist is, is a great twist to what is sometimes, I think, a pretty familiar story for people in our industry that came in, you know, had their first exposure through a document review. And I, I actually think it's something that's really helpful because, you know, kind of in all of our DNA is this real hands-on experience with document reviews at some point, you know, in our careers. Then we kind of progress into e-discovery. And I think it's actually, I think it's a great story. You know, one thing that we've been speculating a lot here is that, you know, with a with a new administration, you know, in the antitrust world, there's always speculation about what will happen and, you know, how will that will impact, you know, both enforcement, but then also on the merger review side. Just curious about, you know, what you're seeing or hearing, you know, are we expecting um, more second requests, you know, more on the investigative side? 
Right. And as a little uh, more background, you know, now I'm at Axon, uh, where I've been for almost six years. Uh, you know, we do a lot of antitrust work, so I've gained some expertise in that area. You know, with, with COVID last year, there was, uh, you know, I know a, a general dip in activity and M&A activity. You know, our firm was actually busier than ever last year, so we didn't notice that so much. And I, I know, you know, it started ramping back up. Uh, late last year and kind of continued through this year. As far as the new administration goes, you know, it, I can't say it's affected us too much yet, but it will be interesting to see, you know, how kind of the general increased uh, scrutiny uh, plays out over the next few years. There's certainly flexing as if, you know, they're going to start, uh, you're, we're going to start seeing some stuff next year. I, I, I agree. Um, so let's, let's talk about the subject of this particular pod, which is, you know, the, doing a single matter doc review versus uh, maybe doing something where you're, you're repurposing work product and strategically. So for organizations encountering the same types of matters, let's say, whether it's a litigation or investigations, what are the, some of the challenges? Let's focus first on single matter doc review, some of the challenges and disadvantages of attacking it that way. Right. And of course, that's, you know, kind of the default and sometimes the only way we can attack it if it's a client that doesn't have too many litigations to deal with or is not having to collect and review documents regularly. The challenges and the, the costs uh, involve learning how to do a doc collection with a client that hasn't done it before can be uh, time consuming and costly. Yeah, there's a variety of, you know, internal capabilities, of course, uh, across different clients. So that can be a process in itself just to learn the clients, uh, you know, internal architecture and get them up to speed on how the process will work. Yeah, it does kind of feel like, you know, in that single matter context, no matter how good, you know, a firm is or even sometimes how experienced the client is, there's always some degree of having to kind of reinvent the wheel. Right. Sometimes it's worse than others, but it's always kind of there, you know, lingering. That's right. And just from our conversations before, you know, we had a chance to visit a little bit. You've kind of been in the unique position of being able to do multiple matters with the same client. And, you know, certainly there's advantages there. What are some of the, you know, I guess, pros and cons that you see in that scenario? Well, I guess it's mainly pros that I see in that scenario. Uh, you know, the the more you get get to know a client uh, and their data and their documents, uh, you know, the more efficiencies there are uh, to be had. And that you know that can be simply you know, using the same reviewers on each matter so that they get to know the client's documents. But of course, you know, there's plenty of technology we can leverage to increase efficiencies there as well. Yeah, you know it. It's like every document review is a, a little bit different, but I think one theme that we see is the privilege review portion tends to be the most expensive and sometimes the most time consuming. It sometimes has the biggest impact on timing. When it comes to privilege specifically, what are some of the benefits that you've seen when you um, attack that in the context of a you know a cross matter approach? Right. Especially with, you know, some artificial intelligence tools that are getting better at detecting privilege. One, you know, the more you feed the tool, the better it gets. And, uh, you know, the, the more it gets to know a specific organization's privilege, uh, people and dynamics. 
so that that can be very helpful, um, especially when you're dealing with large bodies of data with you know a client that may be very active in the M&A space. It's yeah, it's interesting. So I mean, time and cost right associated with priv review is greatly impacted now by the by the AI we're seeing. So let's talk about the the the, the process of it all. Um, so. So what is some what what is the actual strategy? What like what, what what is the process you go through when you're going to repurpose data? And what are some of the strategies in identifying not just that you're going to do it from a macro perspective, but the specific either work product or like you mentioned before, it's not just work product. It could also be using the same reviewers because it's a level of familiarity. So what's the actual process once you've identified? Oh, we're using we're doing another. Let's 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 use an HSR as an example. We're doing a, another HSR for company ABC. We just did one for them six months ago. Um, what is it that you you start to cross reference in your head that you might be able to repurpose and and you know knowing that it'll save time and money, which are huge two huge components of an HSR, especially. You know, I, ideally you have the benefit of foresight, and you you know that the client's going to have a similar matter coming up, but more often you're faced with you know ha- having to look backwards and see if something you've already done might be able to be repurposed. An HSR is a good example. Um, we currently have a client that, you know, has had a couple of HSRs recently. And, you know, a lot, a lot of times in these cases, you're dealing with the same custodians. Uh, you know, the deal teams are largely the same. So instead of going back and recollecting the same data over and over, uh, you know, if you already have it, of course, that's great. You can reuse it and just collect the delta. If you have the benefit of foresight, you can make sure that you keep it and, uh, you know, preserve it so you, you can use it the next time. Of course, you don't want to keep data hanging around longer than you need to for no good reason. But, it, you know, of course, if you have a good reason to, then it, it can definitely pay off. You know, one of the hard things about being an attorney, and especially I think an e-discovery attorney, is that sometimes you're giving bad news to clients about, you know, budgets or or timing. But when you have a cross-matter scenario, it seems like that's kind of one of the times you can actually give good news to a client. And how's that been for you? And how do you typically approach that? Right. It, it is good news to give a client that uh, you don't have to do a full collection again. Um, and if you can explain the efficiencies that you're implementing, all the better. Whether they you know fully understand the details or not, at least you know they see that you're uh, you know trying to do things as efficiently as possible. So you know, let's talk about that a little bit further, though. So well, let, let's let's talk about the situation you said that doesn't happen nearly as often. Um, but if you do have the benefit of uh, of foresight and you know there's a second one coming. Do, would you encourage the client to hold on and maybe host data just a little bit longer than they naturally would if they didn't have that second one coming, just so you can reap all these benefits? And so you're you're almost pitching this proactively before the second before they even pulled and refiled the second time for the second project. Um, you, do you ever approach them there and say, "Look, here are the benefits that we're going to see and 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 the ROI, and you know, and hopefully they get it, and then they're willing to invest by keeping the data up maybe months." longer, you know, obviously not years, but months longer than they ordinarily would have because they see these benefits. Have you had, have you had the occasion to do that? And if not, you know, and, and, and it, one was coming up, you know, how, how would you approach that with the client? Yeah, I, I think it really depends on, you know, each case. Uh, you know, each scenario is different, not to dodge the question, but, you know, it, it really is, you know, fact specific. But definitely if, if 
we're able to see the scenario you know coming where we could repurpose data then we would definitely approach the client and explain it and it's you know it's not that difficult to put together the a cost analysis and, and show them, you know, how much does it cost to host this data offline for, you know, each month and how much would it be to have to recollect and reprocess everything? I was just going to say that the benefit of it from like weaponizing that almost from a timing agreement perspective, knowing that you, you know, typically if you're starting a new de novo each and every time, as opposed to, hey, we have 15 of the 20 custodians for a very large overlap of time. We're not going to have to recollect, reprocess. We could actually start running some tar now and, you know, we can get very aggressive on the timing agreement. So I would think there would be a strategic benefit for a client that's saying, we just want to get this deal done and through the approval process as quickly as possible. That's right. Some industries, I think, uh, are more likely to kind of be ripe for cross-matter work. Um, You know, generic pharmaceuticals that you know, are doing the same types of litigation over and over. They know they're going to have have to draw from the same custodians. Sure. Um, again, especially so that, if it's the same drug and right. And a, a lot of times, you know, regardless of the drug, at least some of the custodians, you know, will be the same. You know, it seems like when we're talking about repurposing, you know, work product and that having that kind of cross matter approach, we we talk a lot about privilege. You know, we talk a lot about maybe. Custodians, you don't have to recollect or reuse their data, but you know we're we're seeing, I guess, emerging uses of this in other areas. Um, whether it's even you know even ones that would impact the responsiveness or non-responses of documents. Any any thoughts on that or any experience that you've had? You know, it, it's hard to repurpose responsive calls since you know you're not going to have the exactly you know the exact same matter with the same responsive parameters but you know you can definitely you know identify types of clearly non-responsive documents that a particular cl- client tends to have in their files um, and just you know set those aside in the first instance and you don't have to kind of reinvent the wheel every time to identify them and set them aside. You know what to expect and it can be in, you know, a fairly automated system. Sure. And then of course, you know, if it I, I agree, responsiveness often is very particular to the to the to the individual matter. But if you happen to land on documents that are you know tagged as responsive either at the at either because they've came back responsive to search terms or to tar uh, if you if it's been produced before in a previous litigation that or or investigation that would certainly be helpful to know because you might not have to run the priv a priv review over the top of it and you could just produce it without you know QCing it that that's a good point yep yeah Jason really thanks thanks for doing this we we appreciate it I'm gonna try to sum up. What we talked about generally, I think we touched on a new administration and while the industry maybe saw a dip, Axon really didn't last year. Um, you haven't really seen the effects of the new administration yet, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I agree with you in the next six to 12 months based on their, you know, their posturing now in terms of single matter versus reuse. The default is typically single matter because you're not often in the in the uh, in the case where a client has data sitting that would still be respond still be relevant to a second matter. If you do get lucky, and I, I think you said you, you're just doing that recently, if you do get lucky and you do it, some of the the challenges of doing a single matter uh, it are costs, obviously, timing, collecting documents anew, um, working through, especially with a client that's not been through, let's say, an HSR before or a major litigation, the process of collecting documents and teaching them how to do that, reprocessing everything. In 
continue, so on and so forth. The pros, on the other hand, of cross matter are not even just recollecting, uh, not having to recollect, not having to reprocess, but also I thought something that you brought that you, you mentioned what, that was particularly interesting. Just the familiarity with that client, their data and how they work. Um, I think especially when you use the same reviewers, there's probably a huge amount of efficiency built into the speed and accuracy of the review when you've worked with clients before. So repurposing work products, certainly not having to recollect, but also just familiarity. I thought that was an interesting point. Uh, In terms of Priv... While we do see AI um, starting to make headway there, um, it's it's something that, you know, I think Priv is always just that nuanced piece of work product that takes a little bit longer. So any AI that's sort of helping, we're seeing that advance. And certainly that's going to help with cost and timing, two big things on HSRs, for instance. Um, in terms of workflow and process, you know, if you if you know that it's coming, if you have the benefit of foresight, like as you said, uh, and you know it's coming, it, it makes it a lot easier to sort of to, to draw that out because you could sort of be as you're working on the first, you could sort of be, you know, have in mind how you're going to reuse that in the second. And and but more often it just sort of happens and you get to see this when you start to see similar custodians. The same client comes in, you immediately cross-reference in your head the custodians that you deal with. There's so much overlap, obviously, with the deal team. So you're going to see a lot of the same people and you wouldn't have to to recollect and you know essentially mitigating the, the the time and costs associated with doc review and just having to go and fill in the gaps and anything that's been created in the in the time period difference and you know in terms of uh, uh, re- responsiveness you know tough to repurpose responsiveness easier to do priv easier to do objectively non-responsive stuff but we did touch on just that that area where you have responsive and has been produced before to avoid maybe priv. And I think the last and maybe the most important point is if you're really looking for career and e-discovery, don't forget Craigslist because it <laughs> could be the difference in whether or not you're happy with your career rather than just having a job. So I think I caught all that. You know, re- Jason, really, really appreciate you doing this. Love bringing some some really specific use cases around technology, not just tra- talking about it generically. So thanks for doing this. I appreciate you having me. Thanks. All right. <laughs> thanks, all right. Jason. Hey, party people, if you're a big fan of law and candor, do me a favor, rate us on wherever you get your podcasts, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you get them. Follow us on Twitter at Law and Candor. You know, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe. Please follow us at Law and Candor on Twitter. Thanks so much.